0: previously on part Time. It looked like somebody exploded in there because he actually had lost enough blood. After the arterial spray and myself marveling at the fact, one, your cat-like reflexes and getting out of the way so it did not spray you in the face, which was really cool, by the way. That sight being stuck in my head covered the wall and it was just like, yeah, had a fountain. I was like, oh, well, that's cool. It, like I said, I thought I was broken that day. What's your favorite thing about me? You didn't make mistakes like a normal rookie. Today, another break from format. Jake is taking another day off, that lazy son of a bitch, and I wanted to bring in another person from my past, because it is all about me, uh, except this time, this is one, uh, one person I never worked with, actually. I worked at this facility, and then I left, and then she came and worked there for six more after I was gone, so even though we have no stories in common, we know a lot of the same people, a lot of the same situations, a lot of the same inmates. Uh, But she has a completely different set of stories to tell you because she is not a correctional officer. In fact, she doesn't come from the security side at all. She was a nurse for the Department of Health. She worked in our prison. She'll tell you how she came to be here and why and some of her greatest stories. When she came, she was uh, a nurse that worked the front lines and she worked her way up to being, I believe, I'm not sure what her title was, but she was the supervisor. She was kind of the head honcho of it all she'll tell you about some stories from different perspectives her name's april welcome to the show april thanks for joining me so last week i talked with Corey. did you did you ever know Corey?
1: no who what was his last name
0: uh his last name oh
1: no i don't know him
0: he looks like mario
1: no Um. i definitely okay so when you were working there at the very end was he working there
0: Yes. He had just come back as an officer and I was a sergeant. And the only reason I went to sergeant was because he was gone. And then it was really weird that he came back and then like, I was like the boss of him, which made me mad because I wanted him to be my partner on the rec crew. I would have worked there till the day that I died because that would have been so much fun. Right. He and I would have held hands running around the rec yard, like clothes lining inmates. That's how good it would have been shamelessly been holding hands. So you never knew him. And the weird thing about it like
1: I would have known him because I got to know rec crew very well because there's always injuries, and so they're always bringing people to the clinic but i don't i mean maybe that name is a little familiar, but i uh I don't remember him
0: so you and i uh we have all these like uh shared context for memories, but we never actually work together, so we don't have any. Uh, we don't have any of that Corey style like, hey, remember that time we saved a life together because we only I I saved all the lives so that they could still be there to bother you when you got there.
1: We have shared inmates,
0: not shared experiences. No. So let me ask you this. Do you know. Does that sound familiar to you?
1: Oh, absolutely. I saved, yes.
0: I saved his life. Man, why?
1: Oh, God, Why? <laughs> Thank you so much for that.
0: We had heard too after we saved his life that he had gone down to the uh, the unit down in that uh, small town south of us. I'm sure you know the one, and uh, mm. that he had stripped off his clothes and jumped into a big thing of concertina wire and shredded himself to bits. That was kind of what we had last heard of him. Did that happen? Yeah.
1: You know, me... if you seen him, he would
0: have he would obviously have razor marks all over his body.
1: Well, that's the thing though is that was true for so many of them oh, they, you all the tell. repeated self-harm they have cuts and scars all over them
0: so all you, over their arms you can't even tell but you know were they
1: self-inflicted was it razor wire i, I have no idea
0: it's good to know that you know that oh, guy yes. does that change? <laughs> oh yes thank you does that change the story now now that you know who that was
1: does it what do you mean change the story because
0: well, like, now when you because now when you listen to it you're like oh it's that guy or does it not impress you at all? Because you're just like, I don't even, I wasn't even impressed by that story because uh, you know, as a nurse, like I did way more fucked up shit that bothered me every day than what you guys had.
1: Oh yeah.
0: That um, d- you think our story was quaint. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I I don't know. It's just it's really hard to tell because it's like nothing surprises me anymore. Nothing surprised me then. Well, I mean that's not true. There's plenty of things that surprised me, but now it's like hear those stories. It's like oh well, yeah.
0: Tuesday. You know, it's just yeah.
1: That's a Tuesday. Yeah. That's a that's oh damn it! I can't take my lunch break today. God damn you.
0: Yes. What, <laughs> what do you think about Corey? He brought up something that I forgot was that the nurse was not able to get an, an IV into him at all because. like, she couldn't find his veins like is that normal? That, uh, no
1: that's true yes um hypovolemia i mean if you ha- don't have enough
0: isn't that latin in for you. not much volume
1: yeah i would i would think so yes hypo means you know not enough or, or not, less it means, yeah it
0: means bad for sure hypo means bad it
1: it, it means almost dead yes okay. um so if i mean especially he was, he was oh. suffering
0: from almost dead
1: Yes, that was my official diagnosis. Um, So if you you have, okay, there's a couple of different factors here. You have a a prison nurse who is not routinely putting in an IV. That part was definitely, that had some truth to it as far as skill level. They don't deal with that kind of stuff very often up there. And so she's inexperienced trying to put an IV in a guy who's lost most of his blood volume. She's not going to have a good time with that. So yes, that was true.
0: Um, Could you have done it?
1: Oh, God, no. Nope, no! Nope. I'm not very good at IVs. Oh. I, I can get them in on somebody who's super easy, but not somebody who's lost a lot of blood. Um, there was one inmate um, at the facility that I worked at mostly who was always cutting and always self-harming, losing all his blood. And I've definitely used him to practice. That was actually what we did. We knew that we weren't going to get these IVs in. But first of all, we had to try because we had to, to try to you know, deliver some medical care. And also, how often did we get the chance to actually try to put in an IV? You get in there and you practice. We always took the new nurses and said, go start an IV on that guy. We know you're not going to do it, but you're going to go practice.
0: Yeah. Well, getting accustomed to uh, failing to save a life is probably a good idea for a nurse in a prison. I also told a couple of (laughs) stories about the time when the guy came out in full rigor you know because he had been in the box and in, the, it, the nurse had yeah. kept signing off on him that he was alive and well and happy and getting better and he, he was just you know in full rigor you know his uh, his blood had pooled you know, his feet or whatever uh, his
1: Yeah, I, that's uh, actually pretty horrifying. The
0: listeners can't see this but he was like this.
1: Yeah. No, I yeah, I definitely know what a what a body would look like in that incident
0: and
1: that's actually just so horrifying i would have been so ticked off to be associated with a nurse you know working with a nurse in my unit who did that like come on have some self-respect don't let that situation be the thing that takes down your career you know is that what 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 did you have to lose to you you were signing off because what you didn't want to work hard that day okay but now you don't get to work ever again
0: so is that ultimately probably what happened is that uh if you You sign a paper saying someone's alive and they're completely dead, like you're pretty much toast as a nurse, huh?
1: Yeah. I would be extremely shocked if she didn't lose her license. Oh, And that's actually a situation that I don't think a lot of the officers realized that we were in. You know, they would get so irritated when I, like, I have to, I have to do this. I have to check him out. He said he had chest pain. I know he's probably lying, but I have to check him out. I have a license. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I know you guys know he's lying. I know he's probably lying. But the time that I say that he's lying and he isn't is the, d- is the day I lose my whole career.
0: Did you hear that story I told about the nurse uh, who had basically been compromised by an inmate? And uh, she brought in the phone and had uh, intercourse with him. And then they found out, of course, because he was happy to say like, oh, yeah, I've been, I pulled off this huge scam. And of course, she yeah. was a registered sex offender. And, mm-hmm. uh, she ended up killing herself and she had a whole right. bunch of kids. Does that story especially affect you or do you have thoughts about it? I mean, this is the most heavily serialized podcast of the format. So all we ever do is talk about previous episodes here. <laughs> did you, did um, you know anyone who got compromised or did you? Did... Oh
1: yes. Yes, I did. Um, there was a nurse who, she was a new nurse. She was a baby nurse and, She was so gorgeous and so smart and so funny and everybody loved her. And then there was a situation in which the most skeezy looking inmate kept trying to get her attention, would keep coming to the clinic and faking, you know, whatever illness just to to get her to take care of him. So it got to the point where we were like protecting her. And every time we saw him come in, we're like, okay, you know you, male nurse, only male nurse in the building, you please go take care of him because he's obviously targeting this female nurse. And then she'd be like, oh, no, 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 I'll take care of, I'll take care of it. Meanwhile, also relaying to us that she felt like she was being targeted. So that was such a hard spot, you know, because we did try to protect our own as much as we could. Then it turned out later, um, she was put on administrative leave And we all got up in arms about it. We're like, we told you guys that this was happening. We've reported it to our superiors that we had concerns about this and that, you know, he needed to be, you know, whatever. And nobody listened to us. Well, it turned out that she actually did have a relationship with him. And when she started to back off on it was when all we kind of noticed it. And when we started trying to protect her is because she was trying to back off. And he wasn't allowing her to. Oh, because yeah, you
0: can't. Once he that, had her. Once that happens, yeah. yeah, I mean, like I said before, it just snowballs. But once you're already post relationship, if you try to break it off, I mean, you think breaking up with people in like the regular world is easy? Try breaking up with an inmate while you're at prison. It's, they're not going to take it well. They're not going to respond well. They're going to, they're going to commit whatever form of revenge they want on you, or or uh, right. or to compel you to do things against your will. I mean. We talked about how inmates can't consent, so in a, in a legal sense, he's already being raped. But once he's coercing sex out of her in order for her to not you know, see her own jail time or her own you know, consequences of her action, now she's having sex against her will. So she's getting raped by him, and he's being raped legally. And so what you have is mutual cross-rape. You know? like, that's literally the yeah. situation <laughs> of what we have now.
1: Fortunately for her and her career and her family, that relationship never got physical. It was very emotional. and But because of everything that happened, he did get some disciplinary um, action. I oh. don't know for
0: what reason. I bet that was hard on him. I bet it was <laughs>
1: and she lost her job. He got some disciplinary, but then his tribe then went after her because Something about yeah. So she actually had to deal with some legal proceedings after that, well, initiated cause by a, his tribe.
0: Because it's a loss. It's a it's a ground fertile for lawsuits, and they uh, they found out about it and they're like, oh, a way for us to get money by way of the government. I'm sorry, right. did I say that? Because that was pretty fucking cynical.
1: Oh, but like here I am, just like nodding and agreeing, like right, mm-hmm. because that's true. It's mm-hmm. true. Uh, We know it.
0: Whether you want to call them a tribe, a political action committee, a union, whatever, uh, there's some thuggery going on and it's about the acquisition of money. So, I mean, we don't even necessarily have to make it a race thing. It's just... uh,
1: It's not. It's anybody sees an opportunity for something with state government. I mean, you know, there's a little bit of money there.
0: But it's just nuts because if I had been in that situation, my tribe, I guess, would have to be... Uh I don't know, but they you know, they can't do shit. There's no white people tribe. Ain't nobody gonna get paid if something happens to me. Does that seem like right. bullshit to you?
1: Uh yeah, no, not really.
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, if, if you get into stupid situations, maybe no one should get paid. Oh. Okay, yeah. I, I thank you for pulling me back into reality. Thank you. I appreciate that.
1: <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, that's what I think. Nobody should get paid. I think this is just, it was a bunch of bullshit. Anyways, she was able to move on. She was able to get married and she has a baby now and she's still working as a nurse. So oh. her life wasn't ended. She didn't lose her license because she didn't do anything, you know, against her license. She didn't have a physical relationship with him. That would be the only thing in in that situation that would have gotten her to lose her license. But so she ended up Okay. Eventually.
0: Okay, that's a thank you for that positive story. I wish I had ever yeah. known a positive story, but I never knew one until now. So that's great to know. Great right. uh, that that somebody got yeah. saved, and I, and that was because of you guys kind of protecting her. Do you think it might have gotten physical? Had you guys been more standoffish or cared less about her, or
1: uh, it's it's possible because um, we definitely you know took those opportunities where we noticed we'd be like, hey, that guy seems to be targeting you we all held together like that even even my coworkers who i absolutely despised i hated working with them they were so lazy whatever in the end we were always there backing each other up always watching out for that manipulation because it's so it's so easy to get pulled into that manipulation it doesn't take much at all and they and i know previously you talked about how they're looking for they're looking for that window they're looking for that weakness they are they are they have nothing but time They have nothing but time to watch you and hear you talk to your coworkers from around the corner. You don't even know they're there. They are waiting to hear something that they can use against you.
0: Yeah, that was part of the psychological stress was uh, having to always worry about what you said. But it's interesting to hear the camaraderie and you guys kind of looking out for each other because, of course, officers were the same way. You know, even officers I didn't like, I would... I would kind of look out for them, or I would be on the lookout. Uh, But it was usually with us; it was much more acute danger situations. Where, like, if I see, you know, an officer I clearly don't like, you know, if there's an if there's an inmate squaring off with him or whatever, like, I'm going to Mm -hmm. get involved in that. I'm going to team up because two on one, even if it's still just a verbal thing, like, you know, we're going to win that if it's two on one, you know, verbal. And I think
1: when you get into our career, our profession of caring, that's. so hard to do in prison because you have to, you know, we're, we're the most trusted profession, right. In America, nurses, um, you know, you look at a nurse and you're like, they are, they're in that job because they care about people and they want to take care of people. And so you put them in a prison situation in which they have to separate that. That's actually how I got into it. Uh, so I was working in a nursing home uh, for the first three and a half years of my career. And I got so attached to those old people. They were all my grandmas and grandpas. And I was getting irate that they were not receiving great care because, unfortunately, that's just what nursing homes are like. And it just got to the point where I got burnt out. And I said, oh, my gosh, I need to do something where I don't have to care as much. I still want to be a nurse. I still want to to help people, but in a way in which I can be disconnected from them. So I start looking through job postings and I'm like, oh wow, I could go work in a prison. Like I don't know where else I could go be a nurse where I should care about them less, right? Mm-hmm. And I get there and I realize that it's so much harder than just not caring because you still, you still care about people. You, you know, these people still come in with tragic stories and you have to separate it like, is it manipulation? Is it real? 99% of the time, their tragic stories are real. These people are not broken people for no reason. They come from broken homes and traumatic experiences. So then I have to take that and I have to provide this nursing care and I have to distantly care about them, but not get myself in a situation in which I'm manipulated. It's extremely hard.
0: I have no doubt, and I, circling back to what you said earlier, I, I knew that the nursing, n- nurses and their licenses were on the line as you can imagine maybe uh that's why i was a sergeant was because i could appreciate such things and some officers could not appreciate such things like i understood that we had to work with the the department of health and that we were constantly dealing with liability issues and it wasn't about whether or not we believed this inmate uh, had a problem uh there was a security risk posed with say opening a cell door in the middle of the night getting them down to you so that you could sign off on it you're always, almost always, in the situation where you're going to say he needs, you know, further examination outside the facility, which is a huge security risk because now we've got to take him out of the facility. But you're not going to, you're not just going to say, ah, he's got some kind of arrhythmia. We'll, we'll send him, we'll send him on a downtown at eight in the morning. You know, obviously, you're going to want to address that more acutely and take care of it more immediately. Right. So it's like we're we're in conflict, but we're also not like your interests are not my interests because my interest is making is keeping him here. And your interest is making sure that he doesn't die for for out of neglect. Uh, what was it like for you to to be in conflict with the security staff? Was that tough? Because you also kind of count on them to protect you or like, how did it make you feel when you came into conflict with the people in uniform?
1: I definitely it was it was medical versus security all the time. And I know I've talked to you and you're like, wow, I never felt that way about nurses. We always felt that way about security because there would be those like, oh my gosh, he has been down to medical five times the last two days for the same complaint. And you guys haven't ever found anything. No, I'm not going to take him out of the cell at three in the morning. I don't have enough officers. We have more important things to do. And I'm like, okay, well, like I said earlier, you know, that I, I know he's probably feigning it. I know. But the one time I say he's feigning it and I ignore it, then that's deliberate indifference, you mm-hmm. know. And he has a heart attack in his cell, and I didn't do anything about it. That's, that's deliberate indifference. That's
0: like murderish, yeah. It is, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's
1: like, could you
0: please take him so that I don't murder him through indifference?
1: Right. So you know, deliberate indifference is not just a nurse. I mean, yes, my license rides on that. If I'm not providing care, well, what's there's like a term for it. Like, what would a prudent nurse do, or something? Yeah, I'd, a, a yeah.
0: reasonable nurse. Yeah,
1: yeah. Someone and, else in your
0: position, what would they do? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's not just in that situation. Is what would a prudent nurse do in the community, in the hospital, in a nursing home. It doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter that we're in prison. They're not going <laughs> to look at that and say, oh, well, she was in prison and it was just an inmate. There's absolutely no yeah, way that's ever no. going to happen.
0: They're not second-class citizens or anything. No. So if you were in that situation, basically what you would have to do is you would have to report this to your highest authority and you would have to go on the record and say like, it's the department of health recommends this person having, have urgent care and the department of corrections is disallowing this. So it's like,
1: yeah, so like, we, I did that. So I, I was, you know, on a, on the floor doing that and then referring it to my supervisors. And then I went into a supervisory position and then all of a sudden I was the one that my nurses were coming to and reporting that DOC wasn't letting them have so-and-so to check him out for chest pain. And so then I would always go to the unit manager or associate warden or whoever and be like, okay, so are you telling me that I cannot have this inmate out to evaluate them for this medical reason? And if you tell me that, I'm going to put your name in this report. And then every single time they allowed us to come out because, you know, they they don't want that liability. No. They don't want that on their name.
0: No. They don't want to be listed on state V whoever, because I mean, that's or or the defendant's family or whoever's litigious or whatever I mean they'd be facing all of that they'd be, they'd be facing lawsuits criminal stuff they'd be fired the whole deal right. once once you put them on the line now now it matters because it's uh now it's their their ass Ab- abruptly shifting into butt things i don't know if you heard that episode <laughs> where i was like you know i didn't encounter much stuff with the butt and it's not like that i wasn't like checking which you know i wasn't like checking real deep but i would check that area you know uh, yes, prison, you know, say as the as far... eye is always watching. So, you know, you're kind of...
1: You know, there was just far too many ass things that we had to deal with in medical. That's for sure. As far as the prison purse, you know, me having to deal with, you know, the things that are being carried in there. I mean, I never had to do a, a cavity search or whatever. They use the body scanners for that, but we... <laughs> but. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, like your, I like your choice of conjunction. Although there was no choice for you to use that conjunction, it was still an excellent no. pun.
1: Yeah. Uh, so then we always had to deal with the fallout of that though. The The repeated use of the prison purse doesn't, you know, leads to probably hemorrhoids, you know, um, the sexual relationships in, in prison, because that's the that's the choice cavity that's used definitely leads to hemorrhoids genital warts in that area um fissures
0: oh. <laughs>
1: there was, there was a lot of, there's a lot of medical things that we had to deal with, um, with the, the back end. Um, We had this one provider who, (laughs) whenever he had to deal with anything, he had them lay face down on the table and then he took this really thick tape and he would just take one ass cheek and tape that down to one side and the other ass cheek and tape that down to the other side so that he could just deal with whatever he had to deal with, with full access. And I always thought that was really funny, but yes, yes. Male, male prison, Definitely, we had a lot to do with that.
0: How come that people didn't respect their own buttholes?
1: Yeah, I don't. They realize that they only get one. <laughs>
0: I mean, <laughs> it's a garden tent. That's how I've always felt about it.
1: <laughs> you only get one, and you know, every time that anybody had any surgical procedure done on it, there was always a complication because it's an inherently dirty area. It yeah. always gets infected. Yeah. So no, people just they're not very. <laughs> Um, forward thinking on or future thinking. You know, they are not usually
0: able to make good decisions and they're not usually thinking about the future when they decide to do something. Like what are the ultimate consequences? Like what's the good and the bad that's going to come out of this? They do struggle with that. So something else we talked about a lot, like to the point where I'm almost ready to put it to bed. And that's a really bad turn of phrase because I'm talking of course about prison rape. Um, (laughs) But... um, Damn it. Uh, How did uh, you get involved in the Prison Rape Elimination Act? How did that affect your job, if at all? And how was it for you if there was a formal accusation of rape? Or, you know, what was your step in the process? I mean, I know what I would need to do as an incident commander. uh, But tell me Mm kind of how you came into that, if uh, if at all. Right.
1: If there was anything, if there was anything to do with Priya, if there was any rape accusation, we actually couldn't get involved. Um, they immediately had to go downtown. They had to go to the ER and get a rape kit done. We could not even examine them.
0: Because of the the conflict of interest is is the reason why, right? Because suppose whatever happens to that inmate is ultimately it's, it's on the Department of Corrections to protect that person uh, to preserve evidence for investigation and so if we have I mean it just sounds like a cover-up right like oh well the prison's nurses came in and said it didn't get raped so it never happened you know like uh, and and mm-hmm. a lot of those rape allegations would be unfounded so of course you know you couldn't do anything with them because it would just seem like an obvious cover-up
1: right however on the other so as far as officially what we could do with prison rape was Nothing. That's the answer. However, definitely, there was always, you know, little things. I have this one really tragic story, actually, of this inmate who I saw from day one when he came in. And I think this kid might have been like 19. You know, he had not even fully developed into a man yet. And he kept coming into medical with a black eye, with some sort of injury, with some bruises. And finally, I just was like, well, it wasn't finally, it was pretty, pretty quick into that. I was like, all right, are you okay? I can get an officer in here. We, you know, I know I see, we can, we can do something about this. Are you okay? And he did not want anything. He knew that by reporting it, by doing something about it was just going to make it worse for him. Pretty sure he was in there for some, something with a child. So oh, no. yeah. that was, yeah. And so, you know, I just kind of watched this may evolve Over the years, because I was there for about six years. And so I watched him kind of evolve into, he just found a group that he fell into and it happened to be the queer community in prison. Um, He eventually went and identified as transgender and constantly getting into disciplinary things, mental health things, you know, lots of self-harm. Eventually, he got himself in a situation where he got into a relationship with an officer.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: I don't know all the details of that relationship or, or how that played out, but he did eventually kill himself. And so I just saw this, this kid who was probably sexually abused in the beginning. However, I, you can't do anything about it if, if they don't let you, you know, if they don't say the right thing or could report things all I wanted to, which I did you know, as I was supposed to, but if they don't want help, you can't force them to have help. And so I watched him go from being abused to trying to make the best of being abused and to ultimately having a tragic situation in which he killed himself.
0: That's horrifying, but it is the story of, uh, I mean, I've got stories like that too, that aren't as sexually charged, but um, you know, I uh, ho- prison is a pretty hopeless place and people would come to the end of themselves. And uh, you, me, Corey, and countless others have, 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 known many people who no longer exist and also some people who got out of prison and continue to get in trouble and then they like got themselves murdered or killed or whatever. So like mm-hmm. uh, when you get to the point where you're a consistent and, and hard enough felon to where you're being sentenced to long stretches in the state penitentiary, you and death are kind of already walking hand in hand, not to overhumanize them or whatever, because like they, they did, they're responsible for their own actions. But it's just um, I think it's something that the common person maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with. So it's it's kind of interesting. Right. Did you ever have to respond to like a hanging person, or uh, you know somebody found who was more or less dead, or uh, were you ever you know the first responder on the scene for anything like that?
1: Um, I was generally the first responder for more of the self harm by cutting. If th- anybody was ever hanging, and I was. You know, in response to that, they were already cut down by the time I was there, and it was generally not a, a serious hanging. I happened to be off work on a day that we had somebody who hung themselves and completed the act of suicide. Yeah, but the the things I responded to more were the walking into a cell with, you know, pools of blood on the floor, having you know, having to throw those shoes out. <laughs> I had to do CPR a couple of times.
0: Do you miss that job? Do you think about it often? I mean, I do. Like, you know, like I've told you before, I still kind of have dreams of that place. I can remember certain sounds. Sometimes I think about just like that kind of one main corridor that went outside of your office, you know, being there because I spent so much time there and in the chow hall and kind of just in that general area. Um, Right. You know, so I, 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 the feeling of the doors closing behind you is something that I feel a lot of the time, which is Mm -hmm. a feeling I guess I can't really describe, but.
1: I do miss that job a lot, actually. I don't miss parts of it, but I miss the the feelings I had with my coworkers, the the closeness, the relationships that you develop with these people while you're in the trenches. It's definitely a different feeling than I've ever had with any other group of coworker because you are in there dealing with traumatic things every day and you just really develop these bonds with them. So I miss that. I miss there there was definitely some times when I felt like I made a difference. I miss that. I mean, I, I make a difference now, but it's not in the same way. I, I had this one inmate who I always got along with. we He was never trying to get anything out of me and always shared a few jokes with him in passing. And he just, you know, one of those that just existed and never brought any bad feelings to my head. And he got out and I was so happy for him. I was like, you know, you just des- you deserve the chance to actually get out there and better yourself. You're so young. Well, He was on parole. He did some drugs. I don't know whatever happened, but he ended up back in. He came back in high. That's something we did in our facility was detox. And so he was high. He was, it was meth, I believe, because he was very anxious and flipping out. But one thing was, is that he was so worried about his people. He was worried about his girlfriend. He's like, I didn't even get to call her. She doesn't even know where I'm at. My mom is sick. I have all these things I have to do and I'm stuck here. And he was flipping out to the point where they thought he was going to hurt himself. So then he got restrained. And so I went down to the infirmary and I probably crossed the line here because sometimes, you know, with, with, with human situations, you need human touch to ground you. So I I did, I, I didn't make it a a point to touch an inmate, but I did, I touched him. I grabbed his arm and I put some pressure on his arm and I said, Hey, you listen to me. You look at me, you listen to me. You need to calm down. You need to get yourself out of this situation because your people need you and you can't do anything to help them while you were here handcuffed to this bed. And I spent 20 minutes just talking to him and grounding him. He calmed down the next day. He got to make his phone calls. It was about a month or two later because he was violated. So he was still in prison. And, you know, I would see him in the hallway and be like, hi, how are you? Whatever. In passing. A couple months later, he came to me and he told me that, I made a difference that he was so thankful for me that I was the only thing that got him through that horrible situation. I mean, can you imagine like you, you work really hard, like you, you spend your time in prison with being productive. Like he, he didn't get in trouble. He got out. He thought he was going to do well. And then he slipped up, which they do, which people do. And he came back in and he just felt like this whole world was crashing around him And so for me to be the one that was able to ground him in that moment and to help him pull himself out of it, I always carry that with me. I made a difference in somebody's life in which they had nothing. And so, yeah, that's, I don't even remember what we started talking about, but I just was thinking about that story. Great story. (laughs) Um, I didn't want to interrupt you,
0: although it, it reminded me of something that I actually wasn't going to share, but I think now I should, now's the right time. So when you talked about crossing a line, I remember in our Policies. There was a policy about what you could do physically with an inmate in terms of a platonic, supportive gesture. Basically, it was in the policies that if you wanted to, you could shake an inmate's hand. Now, of course, we didn't we didn't do that because, like, according to your own personal code, that's like crossing the line because it's like the relationship that you have with inmates, particularly security staff, is inherently adversarial. It doesn't mean that you don't get along. Doesn't mean that you don't get jokes. But a handshake is like what peers do. That's what you do with someone who has the same status as you or someone who's a friend or someone you look up to. So, you know, handshakes generally didn't go on. There would be an occasion where if someone's literally like they're leaving, they're on parole, they've done, you know, they've done well and uh, you've had no problems with them. I could it's possible that I may have shaked somebody's hand at some point with that in mind. Knowing what a, what a, what that what the policy says, and kind of how you said that you were worried that you crossed the line, and I sense maybe some hesitation that maybe you didn't want to tell me this story because, you know, I'm adversarial to you in the sense that I'm security staff and you're nursing. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the time I was accused of rape.
1: Oh yes, please. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she has the biggest smile on her face. Um, <laughs> she's like, oh yeah, the time you were accused of rape. Okay, so when you become a sergeant. Not everyone likes that, it turns out. Some people don't like you, and they don't like the fact that you are now nominally in charge of them. Sometimes there's some factional stuff, like uh, officers will sort of be in groups where they kind of cluster together in terms of who doesn't like whom. I guess you would call that a click. So anyway, mm-hmm. I was uh, called to respond to a medical emergency in the unit where a lot of our acute mental health cases were. I'm sure you understand what mm-hmm. that means. yes. And so a lot of those guys are very low functioning. You know, they're criminally responsible for their crimes, which is why they're in prison. They're kept separate because of their acute mental status. They cannot be out with others because they're going to be victimized, like in every way that they could be. They would be exploited financially. They would be, you know, verbally, physically assaulted, sexually assaulted. They're very much in danger. They're still inmates. Anyway, so one time I was the sergeant and I was called to respond to a medical emergency in one of these sections. So one of these officers who I guess nobody really liked her because she was kind of a piece of work. She was uh, what we called a pod god. She was (laughs) someone who was up in the control pod and she had no idea what it was like to be a a correctional officer that has to put handcuffs on people, that has to talk them down, that has to move them, that has to get cooperation. No, she's someone that will like give you keys when she feels like giving keys and she'll tell you when you're behind schedule and she'll open a door when she's damn well good and ready. So she's this pod god person. She's alienated a lot of people, whatever. I don't I don't think I ever even worked with her as an officer before I was promoted. As it turns out, she doesn't much care for me as evidenced by the fact that she accused me of raping an inmate.
1: Oh, she's the one. Okay. an officer
0: accused me of raping an inmate. So I uh, could respond to this medical emergency. What we have is an asthma attack in progress. Now, these guys don't have their nebulizers there because I'm sure you could explain how that could be uh, abused or turned into some kind of contraband or something. A rescue inhaler is what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. So there'd be a, a reason they wouldn't have that. Is that correct? I mean...
1: Oh, yes. Oh, I'll just briefly interrupt your story. So people would... Um, Dispense all that medication and then snort it. Um, They could take the metal off the canister and use that for self-harm. Like, there's a million reasons why somebody's not allowed to have their rescue inhaler on their person. Most people were, but definitely people
0: were not. But go ahead. Thank you. I appreciate that. So I go down there, and this guy is... uh... He's not able to breathe. I'm sure you could also explain in detail what's going wrong with his lungs. They're full of butter or whatever an asthma attack is. Yes, that's it. Yes. Medically, yes. <laughs> Medically, there's there's, bare, <laughs> there's butter in there now. Okay, so that is not what's happening in the asthma attack. But anyway, he's having difficulty breathing to the point where he's sitting down. He looks like he's having an altered level of consciousness, loss of equilibrium. We have called the code on the radio. Okay, so now health services knows to respond. They're grabbing their you know, emergency card or whatever it is they do use to respond to emergencies, but they still have to get out of where they are, lock the doors behind them, come down the hallway, come onto a locked unit, come into a lock section, get to us. Okay. So like there's some distance away, there's locked doors between here and there. The pod God obviously is going to control their access. This guy was severely mentally ill. He never gave me any problems. He was something of a pathetic figure. He was sort of rail thin. He did this thing where he kind of crossed his arms over his chest and it just showed how thin he was and frail he was. Not that that mattered, but I just kind of want to paint a picture for you of who I'm dealing with. I have him sit down at a table in the day section, which is kind of where they eat lunch and kind of hang out and play cards or whatever. So I have him sit down and I sit next to him. And I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, I want you to try to slow down. We've got plenty of help coming. Just breathe if you can. Just take deep breaths. Like I'm basically just giving emotional support to somebody who has a physiological problem asthma because if, he, if the guy panics if he gets up and walks around he's going to spend more of the oxygen that's in his blood whatever i can do to slow his heart rate to calm him down i think that's going to improve the situation do you agree to that as a nurse
1: yes okay yes Ma-
0: maybe i'm not saving his life but i feel like i'm helping right i'm at least being kind to the guy
1: i think part of an asthma attack is definitely psychological so
0: yes okay thank you for uh uh, you, even though it's easily, you know, uh, 10 years later for affirming that decision. <laughs> so this pod guy is looking down at me from up in her control pod. And again, she is very uh, disconnected from what it means to be a correctional officer. She sees me sitting next to him and placing my hand on his shoulder and talking to this guy as a, as a measure of support. The captain calls me into the office, says, you've been accused of violating Priya, which is code for you've been accused of raping someone because it's the Prison Rape Elimination Act and you have... You're not eliminating rape here. <laughs> you know, it's basically. How else do you want to phrase it? If you're, you're viola- Priya, if you're a violation of Priya, you've raped somebody. You know, and of course we don't use that phrase. And I'm just like, you know, I'm completely thunderstruck by that because, like, you know, I'm never alone with an inmate. Inmates are gross to me. You know, just, just really straight, super. You know, I have all these other, you know, hypothetical opportunities outside of a prison where I don't need to get. You know, I don't have power issues. You know,
1: I could rape anybody I, I wanted could, at I any time. Why would I choose? Why, would I, Why choose? would I choose an
0: inmate? God, you're terrible, uh, but <laughs> I, I, I love it though. Uh, so yes, I can obviously rape anyone anywhere. I don't have to settle for inmates. <laughs> Your standards are so much higher. My standards are higher, you know, <laughs> even as a deviant criminal. Uh, so I'm like, what do you mean I've raped somebody? And so he reads the report to me. Now, this is not something you would do an investigation. If someone was accused of rape, you do not say what, you know, particularly before you have done anything with it. Like if it's as, as long as it's still potentially a criminal matter, like you wouldn't be talking to me about this, right? Like someone from the state criminal investigation people would come and talk to me and I would be in an interrogation room and this would not be a fun thing. But he basically goes, I read through the report and I saw where it says here, you put uh, your hand on the guy's shoulder, which is you know, not what the policy says. It's not what the Prison Rape Elimination Act says. You're not prohibited from doing that. But I just want you to know that this officer wrote you up for raping somebody. And for every day after that, I just could not believe it. Of course, I still had to interact with her. I would go up to the pod and say, hey, so-and-so, You know, give me this spray, give me these cuffs, give me this piece of equipment. I want you to open this door. I want you to do this. And we had to look at each other and she had to look me, look me right in the eyes. And every time I saw her, I'm just like, you wrote me up for raping somebody. You are a piece of shit because I was trying to provide some level of care and kindness to somebody who is having an asthma attack, which is a totally non-controversial thing. I was being a human being for two seconds and you wrote me up for raping him and you did this because you hated me not because it was something that was in the statute not something that where you thought that I was going to get fired or criminally charged because who the fuck are you kidding yourself i touched his shoulder but she she figured hey i'll uh i'll take my shot i'll see if i can get rid of you as a sergeant so she wrote me up as rape and I'll just never forget what it was like to work with people who hated you so much uh, for for whatever reason. And I wasn't a perfect sergeant, but like I wasn't raping people for Pete's sake. That that she would say that, and it was such a slap in the face to me personally that one of my officers would accuse me of that. I mean, it was uh, it was laughable on its face, but it was also it, it was ridiculous. Next time on Hard Time, and I am fucking angry, I am fucking hungry, and I am fucking tired. And even a brief interlude with the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile has failed to save me from having a ruined day. So anyway, I go mm-hmm. over to the to the Wienermobile and it's over on the McDonald's. And I'm like, I'm like, get a load of this Wienermobile. And, you know, <laughs> no one's inside the Wienermobile. Oh, it was just sitting there. They were inside like McDonald's, getting food. Which was oh, weird. Yeah.
1: What? They weren't somewhere eating a hot dog?
0: Well, that's what I was getting at. I'm like, man, I could have gone over there and gotten some Oscar Mayer Wieners and like gone over there. and like, hey, would you sign my Wieners? You know? Like with, I would have had Oscar sign them
1: Oh Oscar himself was driving it You're assuming
0: <laughs> Who, else Who else would, else would be driving it You <laughs> <laughs> <Never laughs> a big car that looks like me I assure you I am the one Driving it <laughs> I thought a lot about it. I saw it had California personalized plates on it that was Oscar Mayer or whatever. First of all, you have to go down to register in California. What type of vehicle is this? It's a giant hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so is that a pickup or is that a light duty truck or is that an SUV? It's, it's a, a big, van. It's a big wiener.
1: <laughs> it's a bus. It's probably classified as a bus. It
0: would have to be, I guess. I mean, it's entirely custom built. It's not like they took a Chevy S ten and put a hot dog on the back, you know. I want to run the license plate and see what make and model the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile is. Ooh. My problem is is that if any if any other cunning dispatcher has listed the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile as missing, if I enter <laughs> the license plate, it will give it, all of a sudden all the alarms will go off. And the original. Oh, agency, alarms go off. Yes, act, there's actual alarms. It sounds like the Star Trek alarm. It goes off and it says, like, uh, oh, Idaho listed the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile as missing. And so so then they'll call. And they're like, hey, this is, you know, Ada County, Idaho. Did you, did you recover that Oscar Mayer Wienermobile? And I'll be like, no. It's just curious. Now, a life goal it would be for the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile to be stolen and to be in a pursuit. Can you imagine, like, the camera footage from a helicopter while the cops chasing at slow speed? Because that thing's got to be topped out at 60. You know, the Oscar, Yeah, it starts shaking.
1: <laughs> the,
0: <laughs> yes, they're, they're inside the Wienermobile and like starts coming apart, even though obviously it was built, like, out of solid steel, like, 50 years ago. It's basically a tank, you know, a well maintained mm-hmm. hot dog tank.
1: Tank. So, like, that that one tank that uh, Dead Leg is going to drive one day, that custom tank that he went and destroyed the whole town it oh, could be that, the Wienermobile. That,
0: the thing from Granby, Colorado. Are you aware yes. of that case?
1: Yes. Can you imagine the Yes. being reinforced, destroying well, my, this town?
0: Well, I don't know if it would necessarily have to be reinforced because they didn't build it out of plastic back in 1975 or whatever. Like, But I would like to see it armored up anyway. I see myself <laughs> commentating the Oscar Miner Wienermobile and then like obviously in a hangar where I can't be seen by satellites or anything. I am. I am. Modest. But I, what I need from you is help. To, is to deliver a uh, or to come up with a uh, a battle cry. It's hot dog time or something, you know. Or here's wiener in your eye. Or, you know, I don't know.
1: <laughs> 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 something. No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, you you're
0: too busy pursuing your own life. Is that is that why? You yeah.
1: That? yeah. That's about right.
0: <laughs> but uh, yes, I would like to take vengeance on all my enemies. and